Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Faith Christian Podcast. At Faith Christian, our purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information about Faith Christian, check out our website, fccnp.org, or stop by on a Sunday morning. We'd love to meet you. Now we hope you enjoy this recent teaching from Faith Christian Church. Uh, right now, though, I want to talk a little bit more about this theme we've been uh, in this fall that we're calling Say Yes. Uh, what we've been doing this fall is we have been recognizing that God has asked us, invited us to participate in his kingdom. And we have a chance as his followers, as his people, as his children, to say yes to participating in that kingdom. We've talked in many ways over the last several weeks, this is actually week nine, uh, about how we can do that, how we can participate in the kingdom. And one of the things we've said over and over through this series, and I think this is so important, is that the kingdom of God is not just heaven. It's not just what we are, our eternal reward after we die. It is that, yes, but it's before then. And so we've said, and we've been reminded that Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, your kingdom come, your will be done. And we've paraphrased that to say it like this, may up there come down here. Because I believe the kingdom of God is here and now. And what I want to talk about today, it hits this very specifically. I want to let you know, remind you, encourage you, challenge you to think about the kingdom of God being in your neighborhood, because that's where it is. The kingdom is in your neighborhood. One of the things that I've mentioned many times from this platform, and specifically over the last several weeks as we've walked through this series together, is the fact that Jesus used stories. He told stories. We call them parables. But one of the reasons he told all these stories was to, to illustrate a truth about God, but most of the time these stories were used to illustrate a truth about the kingdom of God about what life in the kingdom looks like. Not just heaven, but what life in the kingdom, when we are participating in the kingdom, what that can look like now. And what is so great about these stories that Jesus uses is that basically Jesus is saying, let me simplify God's kingdom for you. This kingdom that we can say yes to, this kingdom that we can be a part of, I can describe it to you in really simple terms that you could understand. I don't know about you, I appreciate that about Jesus because I need some simplicity in my life. So today I want to look at one more of these stories. It's a familiar story. We call it the parable or the story of the Good Samaritan. This is maybe Jesus' most familiar, most famous parable. This one or the one about the prodigal son. One or the other, those are the top two. Jesus tells the story to help us understand that the kingdom is in our neighborhood. Let me set it up for you. He tells the story to answer a question. An expert in the law, a religious leader... Someone who was really, really smart, knew lots and lots of stuff, comes up to Jesus one day and asks a question, a really good question. Here's the question. It's in Luke chapter 10. He asked Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? That's a great question. It's a question that in the first century people were asking. A question in the first century, people like this guy. These experts in religion, these religious leaders, these experts in the law, how do I get eternal life? That's an important word in this question. I want you to see this important word in this guy's question. The word is, what must I do to have eternal life? What must I do? There's an old saying that uh, there's only two things that are guaranteed in life, right? Death and taxes. But the reality is there's really only one thing, because if you want to, you can cheat on your taxes. But you're not going to cheat death. And when you get to the end of this life, you have to deal with 
this question. What must I do to inherit, to have eternal life? So Jesus answers the question by asking some more questions. He replies to the man, verse 26, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? Basically, Jesus is saying, all right, you're an expert in the law. You've studied this stuff since you were a little kid. You tell me, Mr. Expert Boy, how do you read it? You've got it memorized. How do you interpret it? And the guy gives the right answer. He quotes two verses from the Old Testament. The first verse that he quotes is this famous verse from the Hebrew Scripture called the Shema. You can read it in your Bible in Deuteronomy chapter 6, but we'll read it from Luke 10. The man answered, here's his answer. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6. He's quoting the Shema. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. Now, every little kid, every little Jewish kid would have known this first. This is, this is one of the first things that they would have memorized around the dinner table as a little kid. It's the right answer. It's the answer. Jesus said, how, how do you read it? What does the law say? This is the right answer. This is number one. This is the foremost thing. If you want to get to heaven, if you want to have eternal life, you've got to love God. You love him with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind. You've got to love God. And then he goes on. The other one, this guy says, here's the second part of it. And you've got to love your neighbor as yourself. This time he's quoting from the book of Leviticus, uh, chapter 19. Here's the really cool thing. Jesus, the most holy, the most religious guy that has ever been, the one who knows more than anybody else about the way, the way God works. Jesus says to this man, this expert of the law, who answered his question with these two verses of Scripture, he says to the man, you have answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. You're right. That's a good answer. That's the right answer. You have answered correctly. The word correctly there in the original language, the first part of that word correctly is where we get our English word orthodox from. Orthodox means to think right or rightly. Ortho is correct. It's right. That's what the word orthodox means. Jesus says, you have answered the right way. Ortho. What you are saying is true. If you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself, look at what he says, you will live. You will live. Now, I want you to see something here before we take this verse off the screen. I want you to see something here because Jesus makes a pretty, pretty important distinction here in this text. Back in verse 25, I pointed out the guy asked the question, what must I do to, to, to get eternal life? What must I do? The guy is looking for stuff to do. He's looking for tangible ways that he can prove in an outward way that he loves God. But look at the word that Jesus uses here in verse 28. Same word. Do this and you will live. Here's the difference. Jesus is saying, you're looking for stuff to do so that you can be religious, so you can keep the letter of the law. You're looking for me to tell you a bunch of to-do things. You're looking for a, a magic formula to be sure you cross all your T's and dot all your I's. Jesus is saying there are two things. If you'll do these two inner heart things, if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself, then you will live. And then Jesus uh, says this about, about this in, a, in a, a different version of the story in the book of Matthew. Jesus adds this kind of caveat on this thing. He says, All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. 
Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is saying the whole of Scripture, the whole message of Scripture, you want to know what to do? You love the Lord your God. You love your neighbor as yourself. We've done that down around here for years to say love God, love people. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. You want to know what to do? You love God, love people. By the way, even though Jesus has come and he was crucified and he was buried and he resurrected and he ascended into heaven, even though all that had happened since Jesus said this, this does not change. Love God, love people. Jesus will still answer this question the same way. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, you love Jesus, his son, you follow him as your Lord and your Savior, and then you love your neighbor as yourself, your kingdom people. You're saying yes to participating in the kingdom. Well, back to the story. This guy has a, has a moment. I don't know. what. Just life hack, by the way. If Jesus, if you, if Jesus ever asks you a question and you answer it and you get it right, and Jesus says, you got it right, walk away. <laughs> take, take your win and go. This guy doesn't do this. He's going to run his mouth again. So it says in verse 29, the man wanted to justify his actions. In other words, he's wanting to make himself righteous. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I love my neighbor as myself. Then who is my neighbor? Define for me then, Jesus. Define for me who my neighbor is. Tell me who my neighbor is. Listen, that's the wrong question. Let's look at this word neighbor. Really important word. It literally means, you already know this, to be near. That's what the word neighbor means, to be near. So what this guy is saying, let me hear from you who my neighbor is. Because if there's a way to get to heaven and I'm trying to justify myself, I'm trying to make sure that I'm righteous, then I want you to define my neighbor for me so that I can make sure that I'm loving the right people. You understand, don't you, that he already knew who his neighbor was, right? In his mind, at least, he had a pretty good idea who his neighbor was. You do too. First and foremost, for this guy in the first century, this expert in religious law, his, uh, when he thought about neighbor, his, first of all, he thought about, well, this person must got to be a Jew. It's got to be a Jewish person, the chosen people of God, the descendants of Abraham. If you were to really get into this guy's head, you would have, he, he would have understood about all of the laws and about serving people in the Old Testament, about taking care of people, about helping people in need. He would have understood every one of those laws to be about Jewish people, his people. The one he was a part of. I don't care. He would have said, I don't care about the, the, the Philistines, the Girgashites, the Hibites, the Jebusites, the Canaanites, the Mosquito Bites. I don't care about any of them. I care about these people. These are my people. These are my brothers. These are my sisters. These are my neighbors. They're the ones who are near to me because they're just like me. But this guy probably, he probably would have narrowed that group down a little bit more. And not just been the Jewish people. He said, some, you know, some of my Jewish brothers and sisters, they follow the law really well. So that's who my neighbors are. That's the people who are closest to me. So I would narrow, narrow, narrow it down to the people who are orthodox. 
the people who think the right way, the people who I see at the festivals all the time and out of those sacrifices, the people I see at synagogue every Sunday. Well, they would have gone to church on Saturday, not Saturday, but that's another story. They're worshiping God the way I do. They're praying the way I do. They've got the phylacteries on. They look the part. They act the part. They say the right things. They do the do. There's that word again. They do the right things. He would narrow his, narrow his neighborhood down just to that little group, not just the Jews, but the ones who practice Judaism the way he did. He might even, he might even narrow it down a little bit farther. And he would say, well, really, my neighbors are the ones that are most like me. They're the other experts in the law. Now, this circle gets pretty small. The Pharisees, the rabbis, the teachers, the, the ones who are the, really the higher up experts. Do you see what he's done? He's taken this great neighborhood of Jewish people. He's narrowed it down to people who are religious He's narrowed it down even more to people who are teachers of what's religious. In other words, people who are just like him. You see, he, he needs this definition because his near people, his neighbor people, that's not a very big group. And Jesus is going to say, your neighbor... Instead of making that group smaller and smaller, Jesus is going to make that group bigger and bigger and even bigger yet. Here's what I want you to think about for a minute. Who is your neighbor? Who's near to you? If I asked most of you who your neighbors are, you would probably begin by telling me about the people who live close to you on your street or in your neighborhood. You might mention names. These are my neighbors, Grant and Sue, Steve and Mary Ellen, Larry and Sandy, Ron and Don live over across the way there. I guess you could say, I guess you could say, I love my neighbors. Ron and Don, I love you, but I'm not sure I love you like I love myself, though. <laughs> I love you. But do I love them like myself? I mean, sure, I'll go pick up their trash cans if they blow over in the wind. We'll divide some hostas and share. But do I love my neighbors as I love myself? We, we have people, and this is kind of the point here. We have people, just like this teacher of the law, this expert of the law, that fit into our near category. We categorize people and we draw them near to us based on whether we like them or not, whether they fit in like we do or not. People like us, people that talk like us and walk like us and dress like us and think like us and vote like us. Sometimes it can be economic. There are people who are in our same pay range. Sometimes it can be racial, people whose skin color is the same as ours, people who speak the same language that we do. Sometimes it can be religious, people who are, well, really, we're more righteous than the other people. We get it right at our church. They don't at their church. We don't hang out with them. The truth of the matter is, and what I really want you to think about today with this question, who is your neighbor, is what's it based on? Is it based on the education level? Is it based on an age group? Is it based on what street their house is on? Or their lifestyle? Or who they hang out with? Or the music that they listen to? 
or what their sexual identity is or the church they go to or don't go to or who they vote for or the way that they dress or what race they belong to or what their background is that they came from. Who's near to you? Because the truth is, like this expert in the law, you and I usually have people near to us who are just like us. And that's why Jesus starts to tell this story that we know as the Good Samaritan. And this story just rocks this guy's world. And it should rock yours too. Because Jesus is telling a story. And the hero of the story is a guy who is nothing like the guy he's telling the story to. We've defined our neighbors just like this guy. And Jesus says, you got it all wrong. Don't ask who your neighbor is. Let me tell you a story. Here's Jesus' story, verse 30. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. So there he is, laying on the road. I want you to picture in your mind, this guy's half naked, dazed, if not unconscious, bleeding. So now coming out of Jerusalem comes this very holy person, a priest, verse 31. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed over to the other side of the road and passed him by. This priest has been in Jerusalem. That's where the temple is. Probably, probably serving in the temple, doing God's holy work. He's on his way home. He's tired. He's probably hungry. He wants to get home to Jericho so he can relax, kick the shoes off. And so here he comes down this road, and he sees this half-dead, half-naked, totally bleeding guy laying there, and he literally makes this decision. Oh. And changes lanes. And steps to the other side of the road and is on his way. Verse 32. A temple assistant, a Levite, walked over and looked at him laying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Same thing happens with this Levite. A Levite most likely would have been at the temple as well. This was, the Levites were the temple workers. He should be holy too. He's set apart. He's a, he's a God guy. You with me? He's a God guy. These are the professional church people. Now I'm preaching to the mirror. Don't miss this. The expert in the law is expecting these guys, these religious guys, this, these, this priest, this, this church professional church person, he's expecting them to be the hero of the story. Jesus is just baiting the guy. Half-dead guy, priest, nope. Levite, nope. Not stopping, verse 33. Then a despised Samaritan came along. A Samaritan? You can almost hear the crowd hissing. The Jews hated Samaritan people. They were a mixed race people, half Jewish, half something else. The Jewish people did not accept the Samaritans. They didn't like the Samaritans. They thought the Samaritans were less than them. So get this. Again, Jesus is telling this story to a Jewish righteous dude, and the Samaritan, the hated guy, is the hero. Catch this phrase. The despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. 
The man comes along. He sees something, a helpless, half-naked, half-dead, beat-up guy laying on the road. But as he sees him, something moves inside him. He has pity. He has compassion. He knows this guy needs help. I'm not going to ask questions. I'm not concerned about what nationality he is. I don't care if he's unclean or clean, about what religion he is. I don't even care who he voted for. He just stops. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then the man put him on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. It's a great story. And then Jesus looks at this young religious expert in the law guy and asks the second question. Now, which one of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Now, before we get to the guy's answer, Jesus said, you already know it. Sorry, before we get there, I want you just to stop and think for a minute about all the reasons why this guy might not have stopped. Because I think this is what applies to us today. I think this is where the story hits us today. It would have been very easy for this Samaritan guy in the story to go, oh, Jew, he's not like me. Matter of fact, he doesn't even like me. He won't appreciate this. I don't like him. Matter of fact, I hate him. Good for him that he got beat up and he's bleeding and he's half dead and half naked on the side of the road. And if I were to stop and if this guy woke up and they saw me touching him, he'd be mad at me. He's not like me. He's not my people. He's not my kind of people. I'm just not going to stop. Here's the question. Are there people in your life that are not like you? That honestly, be honest, at least with yourself. You just don't care about them. Be honest, you, you just don't care about them because they're not like you. You see them in the street. You see them at the store. You see them when you're dropping your kids off at school. Wherever it is you go and you think, not like me, therefore I'm not talking to you. I don't care about you. It would have been really, really easy for this guy to do that. <laughs> Jewish guy? I'm not stopping for some dumb piece of trash Jewish guy. Maybe you and I do the same thing sometimes. Here's another reason why this guy might not have stopped. It was dangerous and really, really messy. Obviously, this is not a great road. There were other people who may come along and rob him if he stops on this road to help this guy. He's putting himself in danger. He's got all this stuff. He's got wine and oil and a donkey and cash and clothes. He's on a long journey. He's on his way somewhere. He might have thought, this is dangerous. If they beat him up and took his stuff, they could put me in danger. I'm not going to get mixed up in this stuff. This is too dangerous for me. Not to mention the mess. There's blood everywhere and nakedness. Most guys probably wouldn't stop to help another naked man. That's weird. You wouldn't do that. It's messy and it's weird. And you know what? When you look at other people's lives, sometimes you are scared away from them because their lives are messy. And it's dangerous to get involved. Because you're not going to get in the middle of some parenting thing or in the middle of somebody's marriage thing or in the middle of some finance thing, in the middle of whatever the mess is. 
It just scares you away. You go, you know what? I, I kind of feel in my gut that I should do something. I kind of feel like maybe I could help them out, but, but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna take that chance. It's too dangerous. It's too messy. And I wonder if there are people in your life, in my life, whose lives are just so messy and so weird and so bloody that it's just, it's just impossible to fix. And you think, you know what? I'm just gonna pass by. This guy could have. He might have been afraid of a lot of things that you and I are afraid of when we look at people who are not like us. Here's another reason that he could have not helped this guy. Well, frankly, it was not his job. He could have said, it's not my job. Maybe he saw the priest and the Levite, the professional church people, the holy people, the holy Jewish people. Maybe he saw them and thought, well, nobody else is helping him either. I'm not gonna. But he didn't. He stopped. He had something deep in his heart that said, I need to help this guy. I need to do something about this. In a word, he was a neighbor. Which brings us to the kingdom question that we need to talk about today. This is the important kingdom question. And the question is not, who is my neighbor? That's a bad question. That's the wrong question. The kingdom question, the good question is, who am I a neighbor to? That's the question that Jesus is getting at by telling this simple story. He says to the man, the question is not, who's your neighbor? The question, uh, the question is, who was the neighbor to the guy who was beaten up? And the answer is in verse 37. The man replied, well, it's had to kill him to say this, right? The one who showed him mercy. That's the story. And that's the answer for our lives. And that's saying yes to participating in the kingdom of God. The one who had mercy. This man stopped to help because he loved as much as he loved himself. He loved God and then demonstrated his love for God by the way that he loved people. And so Jesus brings it all together. So you know those two laws we were talking about, that love God, that love people, those two laws. If you really believe those things deep down in your heart, then you will do this. You'll do the work of a neighbor. If you really love God, then you'll really love the people around you. The do here, don't miss this. The do here, Jesus comes back to the word do. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and say the word with me. Do the same. Go and do this. The do here is have mercy, have pity, show compassion, or to, if I can quote myself, love better. Love better. And that's the point of this story. And that's the point of this kingdom. The neighbors are the people who have mercy and love better. In his book, Tell It Slant, Eugene Peterson says this about this story. Jesus' story puts a full stop for all time to the variations of the question, who is my neighbor? From that time right down to the present, the question is, will I be a neighbor?
That's the kingdom question. Will we say yes? Will I be a neighbor? Let me pray for you. If our communion team will take their places, please. God, will you help us be neighbors? You have chosen to give us mercy, and you have chosen us to give mercy to others. So would you make that true about us? We confess to you, God, that there are a lot of people that we pass by every day, week after week. Would you touch us in our souls and in the deepest parts of us to have pity, to show compassion, to share mercy, to love better. Teach us how to be neighbors. God, now as we move in this church service, as we move into our time of communion, remind us through this, these emblems, as we participate in the body and the blood of Christ, remind us that it was Jesus that saw us lifeless, helpless, beaten up, not even half dead, all the way dead. And because he stopped and died for our sins and redeemed us, we now have the mercy of God in our lives today. So may we, like this good Samaritan, may we, like Jesus in our lives, go and do the same. We ask this in the name of our King.